This is the Feminine Genius Podcast, a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. Rocky McCormick's journey to the Catholic faith was one of continual encounter. She was raised Hindu in a small town, and for much of her life, she sought out belonging and identity. Through various points of encounter, she met Jesus in different people and experiences. Rocky entered the Catholic Church as a young adult and now walks with other people through a variety of ministries that she serves. In this episode, Rocky shares her story of conversion, how she started using her art to serve God, and what it means to encounter Christ in the least. Hello, Rocky. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm tired, but I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I was mentioning to you just before we hit record, I I feel like I've known you for a long time, but I guess that's just the way that social media goes. It does. But it's wonderful to finally connect with you. So thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And likewise, it is. Social media makes me feel like I'm best friends with everyone around the world. When yes. maybe if I jumped up and saw them in person, it might freak them out a little bit. Right. So that's always fun. <laughs> Yeah, but like you said, a beautiful sentiment, right? Connected with folks around the world. And, and of course, like seeing people who love Christ too. So it's wonderful. Yeah. So thanks again for being here. And maybe for those who are unfamiliar with who you are or your work, I was wondering if you could uh, take some time to introduce yourself and share a little bit about what you do. My name is Rocky McCormick, and I am currently in the Metro Detroit area. And I, my day job is working for our parish as the coordinator of mission and outreach, which includes youth ministry, young adult ministry, young family ministry, digital ministry, and a little bit of Christian service here and there as well. But then on the side, I have a design business that I started, oh gosh, now I'm going to have to do math, maybe seven years ago, where I do some lettering and some design work too, to share the gospel and the the joy and the hope and the light of the Lord. Mm. That's so well said. And, you know, as someone who has seen and just delighted in your artwork online, I have to tell everybody who's listening, please, please, please go follow Rocky on social media. I'll be sure to leave a link down below. But your art is so beautiful. So I look forward to to jumping into that. But I know that one of the things just as I was preparing for this conversation that really that I was taken by was your journey to Catholicism, because I understand that you are a convert from Hinduism. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about Hinduism, and maybe from there sharing a little bit about your upbringing within that. You know, I usually joke that I was such a bad Hindu, I became a Catholic, but I'll I'll do my best. So, you know, Hinduism is one of the world's major religions, the um, main religions in India, which is where my family is is from, and it is not a monotheistic religion. And for me growing up, it seemed a lot more like mythology. So there's all kinds of small G gods with a variety of history. I think there's, gosh, 
I say over 300, maybe more. So I don't really know. I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about the actual ins and outs or the theology of Hinduism. But the thing that that I do know is that they believe in reincarnation. And so one of the things that didn't make sense to me was that how you lived your life here depended, uh, how you lived your life on earth depended on how you came back in your next life as to whether you Hmm. went up the spectrum or down the ladder. And so it was all very dependent on you, whether you ever reached nirvana, which was the state of, of complete peace. And that just seemed like a lot of work. I knew that the game Shoots and Ladders was based on that. So that was always fun growing up. I'm like, oh, hey. Okay. So because in India has like snakes and, and ladders. So like right. when you do something bad, you go down a run. But anyway, so there's there's that working yourself to what I guess would be akin to salvation. But I don't want to speak too much about things I don't know about either. So I don't want to get too sure. intricacies because it is one of the world's major religions and God is most certainly present there in a very different light. And I, just, I, I want to be respectful of the fact that most of my family is still Hindu and, and practicing. So this may segue right into kind of my conversion. It just never made sense to me. There were too many gods to think of. They didn't look like, um, you know, a lot of them are hybrid human slash animal type type gods so that just never quite made sense to me as a child but you know very much the same in terms of having uh, religious texts and very devout prayer rituals and i know growing up for me we were morning and night we had daily prayer we lived in Iowa, of course, so there wasn't a huge population, but we would go to like larger cities to be able to worship together. So communal worship was very important as well. So like the pujas, which would be like the big festivals or high holy days of the different gods. And so a lot of that was very much similar to what I find in, in Catholicism in terms of the communal aspect of worship and having the high holy days for special feasts. But again, like it just... It never fit with my spirit. And maybe part of that has to do with also growing up very much isolated from any other Hindu population. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you talk about, like you said, communal worship and having those times of day and night, so constantly being, I guess, like enveloped in prayer or ritual or whatever it might be, I find that to be so beautiful. And it is something that is, you know, like you said, Hindu being one of the, or Hinduism, I should say, being one of the world's major religions, how there too is God, right? And just how like there's spirit present. And I love that that formed the basis of your own journey. But like you said, there was something that maybe within you, you wanted to seek more. So I'm curious to hear about at what point you were introduced to Catholicism and maybe how it was that it spoke to you, to your spirit, as you kind of alluded to so beautifully. So it was kind of a long journey. So again, like growing up Hindu in small town Iowa, I kind of always felt like a little bit of a misfit. And so there's always that longing to belong somewhere. Honestly, it was it was our Baptist neighbors that at one point I was friends with their daughter who was around the same age. And one summer, she just point blank, because I think the Baptists are very good at this, you know, just point blank asked me if I knew who Jesus was. And if I didn't, did I want to know him? And so I think I said something like Christmas, but no, like no one had actually talked to me about the person of Jesus before. And so she explained in our, she may be 12 at the time, 11 or 12, you know, in our very childlike, Jesus makes our life better and he's always with us and 
he has saved us. So very simple, no high theology. But she said, you know, would you like that? I'm like, sure. And so she gave me this really simple prayer to pray at night. And she said, all you have to do is at night say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Wow. And so I was like, okay. And so I went home that night and I closed my eyes. I prayed the prayer and I woke up the next day and nothing was different. Because right? we know that a life in Christ is much more complicated than, than that. Um, however, like in hindsight, I fully believe that that is absolutely when God started working in my life in that way, when Jesus wow. started preparing me yeah. to come to him. And so fast forward quite a few years, I was in college, still trying to figure out where I fit in and had gotten into kind of the party scene and all of that and ended up with alcohol poisoning, severe alcohol poisoning at 17 from there, just kind of had those questions like, why does God want me alive? Because I survived mm -hmm. and not with much deficit that can tell. You know, why does God want me here? What is my purpose? And people had been in the hospital praying for me, which was unusual. Like I'd never seen that, especially high school friends. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of set me on this journey. And my freshman year of college, I went with my parents to San Diego, which is where I was born. And we went to a Benedictine monastery that had a homeless shelter to serve mm -hmm. on Christmas morning because my parents were Hindu and my godparents, for lack of a better word, were Jewish. So none of us were doing anything Christmas morning. So my godparents decided we would go and serve at the shelter. Mm -hmm. And I handed out toys to the kids and we had a meal with the homeless. And God has a sense of humor. So there's a nice young 19 or 21-year-old Marine young man who was serving alongside me. And, you know, I'm 19, so that's not necessarily a bad thing to me at that point. But we got to talking over lunch. And so he was explaining that that day actually was his 21st birthday and he didn't want to be oh, on the base because they would just make him party. Right. And that wasn't something he was into. He also was Baptist. The Baptist played a large role in my conversion. And so he's explaining to me why he instead was at a homeless shelter and how Jesus had died for him and the sacrifice that he had made and how he wanted to make that sacrifice for others. And, mm -hmm. and part of believing was meeting Jesus in the least. And I had been reading some scripture up to that point. So I was familiar with Matthew 25 and mm -hmm. in the parable of the sheep and the goats. And, and it just kind of all came together at that point. And so... I'd been searching in all different faiths. I think then it was very much a, an encounter with Christ mm. in the least, with the explanation, especially from this young man. And so I came back and started going to different Christian denominations. And my best friend at the time was Catholic and finally realized what I was doing and was like, why aren't you just coming to church with me? And I was like, I don't know, why am I not just coming to church with you, <laughs> Right. Um, and so she invited me to the Newman Center on campus. And very first Mass we went to, she, of course, explained about the Eucharist and how couldn't receive it because they believe it's Jesus. And until you're actually Catholic, you can't consume Christ in that way. And mm -hmm. it's like, all right, didn't really make sense, but okay. But it was my very first Mass at the elevation of the Eucharist, just this mystical experience of Jesus being present, being real, and him mm. telling me that that was where I belonged. Mm. And so then I started RCIA at the next possible opportunity and came into the church that uh, Easter vigil. Wow. Yeah, so that's how I came into the church. But of course, you know, it's not a one and done. 
Like which of course. It's, a, it's a long journey. And so I always say like that's when I converted to the church. But it was a few years later that I think I finally really truly gave my whole life to Jesus. You know, my father died right after my conversion. And so I was seeking again within the church. But God is so good and he pursues us relentlessly. And mm-hmm. people in my life, when I went off to grad school, my assistantship supervisor was Catholic, found out I was always inviting me to church. When I moved up to Detroit for my first job, our campus minister at the university I worked at was on my search committee and we became really good friends. And so she constantly invite me to things. And I happened mm-hmm. to mention that I really enjoyed going on retreats when I was in campus ministry in college. And you never tell a minister that you enjoy doing something because <laughs> then you end up doing it. And that's actually how I ended up in ministry. So I started volunteering with our campus ministry and then our young adult ministry. And then I ended up doing campus and young adult ministry in now that's been, gosh, 20 years. Oh. Um, but it was in the midst of that and still being super lonely. I was here by myself. My mom was in Oregon. I was here really like, I was really lonely and miserable. And I finally had this moment where I just broke down on the couch and I was like, Jesus, I will give you anything. I mm-hmm. just don't want to be miserable anymore. If you want me to be a nun, I will be a nun. But I feel like you want me to be married. So bring me my husband. but it was I think that was the moment where I was like whatever you want you can have it but I don't want to feel miserable wow and um interesting note I met my husband within a couple months of that he and I had prayed very similar prayers at about the same time so wow not that that's how that always happens but it did in our lives wow well how beautiful I want to say to you know when you talk about the elevation of the Eucharist just at that first Mass. I also, you know, and, and I'm cradle Catholic. Many listeners know, like, I'm cradle Catholic, and I, I see it, and I have to be careful, too. It's like it's something that I try to, I go to daily Mass, so I, I see on a almost daily basis. And yet, you know, to hear you describe it again, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, that's Jesus, and that is real. So what a surreal feeling to have um, and to experience the first time. You know, I can only imagine what that must have done, especially if it's something that is so brand new, like the rituals and the mass in itself is an unfamiliar place. And then yet to to see that, and then like you said, to hear him say that this is where you belong, especially after so long of searching. Yeah, and again, like in hindsight, I see how he was preparing me every step of the way. It would not have had that impact at 13. And my father dying the year after, it was providential. Like there's great providence in his plan because I was surrounded with this community instantly. I always have to remind myself of this too, is that it's never, like you said, a one and done. It's always like that continual kind of like going upwards. Like many people kind of describe it as like going up the mountain and like continually going up higher to seek him or, you know, conversely, like going deeper and deeper and just every encounter that we have um, is that constant like growing of our faith and really growing in relationship. And I think what you've described about your father passing away and then subsequently the loneliness that you felt, like just how there were opportunities for him to work his grace and help you to grow and also it's an opportunity for us to choose to go deeper with him because I think 
many times we feel like, oh, well, I've given my life to you or I've said yes, I've become baptized or I'm a, I'm a member of the Catholic Church in full communion, so why do I still feel, you know, sad or why are these things still happening? Absolutely. And I think, too, of like Teresa, uh, Teresa Vavala's interior castle, like there's always more rooms, right? Like he's calling us deeper and deeper and deeper into himself. Mm-hmm. So like you said, you started and there were a lot of opportunities that kind of led you to to work in ministry. So when it comes to some of the work that you do, when you were introducing yourself, like you had an impressive list and areas of ministry that you're covering what have been some of the, the really rewarding things and, and perhaps even some of the things that have helped you to continue to grow in that faith, especially as you're serving other people in your parish community? Yeah, you know, I think for me, like young adult ministry came around at just the right time when I was searching myself, but then it gave me an opportunity to serve in and to encourage others in that journey and to have that community of people who are seeking, but also still lonely and searching and doing all of that together. Because I think there's a real power in knowing we're not alone in the things that we're experiencing and and to experience Christ again in that community. And he says, wherever two or three are gathered, I'm in their midst. And so there just is so much power in coming together in those different stages of life. I think for me right now, one of the most encouraging are young people, because you see their thirst. You see them kind of wrestling with those things and just those moments of them coming to the realization that God is real and that he is present Uh, We were just recently at the National Catholic uh, Youth Conference in Indianapolis. And to see them at adoration, at Eucharistic Mm -hmm. adoration, and to see them really experience the mystical presence of Jesus. Yeah. The King of the Universe, it was Christ our King weekend, you know, in present in the Eucharist and their surrender to him and just the transformation that took place even in those short four days that we were there in some of their lives and their hearts. The power of their experience reminds me that that's there for me too. Mm. And then I think to just my nature and and my disposition, serving the least, somehow working with those that are in need and on the margins, nights me to Jesus in the most intimate way. Because I think he is is a God of the marginalized, right? You see that throughout Mm. scripture, that wherever there is suffering, he is there. Wherever there is need, he is there. And that keeps me present. Mm -hmm. And it's such a beautiful reflection, too, because how many times do we walk past or we fail to to recognize the needs of of folks who are our brothers and sisters? And just, yeah, some of the the difficult things that sometimes, like, things happen. And, you know, I, I think about that myself. We're so blessed and we're so lucky. And yet, like, how many people go without so why am I not reaching out or encountering Jesus there too? My kids keep me humble on, on that respect too, because I talk a good game. But every time we drive by someone homeless, they're like, mom, do you got money? I'm like, yes, I have <laughs> money. Yes, we can stop. Of course we can stop. Mm. Um, oh. So that's they so keep beautiful. me humble. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. But yeah. we're late for practice. Mom, I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> It'll pull over. <laughs> Oh, no, that's so sweet. Yeah, just to to have your own kids, right? Like, you know, you teach that to them and conversely, they teach us so much, right? So that's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now, to kind of bring it back to something that I was sharing with listeners earlier, 
your artwork. Now, I know that before we hit record, I was saying that I was staring at a particular mug of yours that I, I so truly admire. It's a Servant of God Dorothy Day mug, and it is so, so beautiful. But like I was mentioning earlier, your artwork is is one of those, in the mix of social media, I've come across it uh, so many times. And every time I just feel like there's a, a certain sense of joy that comes with seeing your art. And I, I can't put my finger on what it was, but perhaps it really does come from a place of joy that you, you maybe have. And I was wondering, you know, first off, how did you get into art? Like, when did you realize that this was something that you had a gift for? So first, thank you so much. Um... Yeah, it is always a joy to hear that people see the joy in, in my work. Yeah. And I will tell you, I've always loved art. I've always been yeah. drawing. I've always been a doodler. But I never really thought I had a gift for it. Mm-hmm. I share this story with some fellow creatives that in junior high, because I wasn't quite understanding some of the fine art concepts, I had a teacher who told me I should just not bother with art at oh, all. Man. And so I never took another class. Um, It was after my second child was born and I wasn't able to do ministry full time or with the kind of depth that I had been doing as a new mom. A friend of mine, uh, Jenna, he runs Color Happy and Lazy Liturgical. Um, She was taking an online class on lettering and just invited people to join her. And so I did. And that was where it was all born. Like it was something I could do from my dinner table. I didn't need a studio per se. I talk about my studio all the time, but it's usually the couch or the dinner table, though I do have kind of a reserved (laughs) space in the house now too. But I think I still struggle with thinking of myself as an artist because those voices don't die easily. I am not a fine artist, and that's the the distinction I now make with myself to, to remind myself I can be an artist who's not a fine artist. No, it just, it does. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. I find that the the pieces that speak to people the most and the pieces that flow out of me the easiest are the ones that are coming from a place that's not my own. It's definitely a charism as well. And so really a lot of my work is prayer. And so it was a way for me to use those gifts, those talents and what the Holy Spirit was doing to continue to minister, to continue, you know, I think my, my slogan is to light the darkness. And that really is kind of what I'm hoping to do is for people to see in the work that I do, that there is hope, that there is goodness, that they are worthy, that they are loved, that there is some glimmer of light and of hope in whatever their struggle is. So I think we all agree that the world can be a pretty dark place. And so just to be able to continue to share that message. And it's given me the opportunity to really reach out into media that I wouldn't have done just doing ministry one-on-one either. And so it's connected me between the artwork and the writing has really connected me to this whole network of people that I would never have otherwise connected with that have been such a joy for me and been such an important part of my own journey as a Catholic woman and in letting go of some of those negative voices and in really kind of claiming who God has made me to be and what he has called me to do and to overcome some of my own doubts about myself. And so as much as it's a ministry to others, it's been a beautiful door to people ministering to me as well. Amen. Yeah whether artists or just, you know, as you note, other people who work in ministry, I I think, and I feel that same way as well as to see that the beautiful cyclical nature of how God's love and his abundance never runs out. So in the ways in which we pray to the Holy Spirit, and we ask God to inspire our work, just how people hopefully are inspired by that, and then in turn, how they minister back to us, like it's a real overflowing abundance. And, you know, you spoke so well about 
and this is probably like one of the best ways that I've heard it described is just like truly like those voices like and, and you know like the negative voices or whether like imposter syndrome or something like that doesn't die easy and for anyone who may be trying to whether it is like lettering or artwork or just any kind of ministry and they feel themselves being held back by those voices whether their own or maybe it really is from the evil one like what advice do you have for them to really overcome that and it sounds like a, a broken record here but community I, I just think that it is so important to surround ourselves with other people who are our cheerleaders and again to remember the promises of god like if he's put something on your heart he's done that for a purpose and so maybe I think comparison comes into is a really big problem when it comes to trying to kind of figure out where we want to go and especially getting started because we see people at the end of their journey, right? Like mm -hmm. even the most talented fine artists didn't start there. They've had years of work and practice in, I'll bet some of the pieces you don't see them posting are probably not all winners. Like they're not all perfect. And I think any artist will tell you that, that it takes time and it takes talent, but it also takes practice. And so to really not hold yourself to the standard of someone who is years and years down their journey and to just start, just start and go and see what God does with it and be willing to surrender your desire for it, to let his purpose for it really come through. Mm -hmm. And I mean, no broken records at all. A community is so, so important. And, and I think that that's really like one of the resounding themes just as I'm you know listening to you share and you know you talk about community but also belonging and I know that when I think back on my own journey that certainly has been one of the things that I've constantly tried to seek in a number of arenas is ultimately and I believe that that's what all of our hearts long for is is to belong to someone or to a group or to be seen and known and loved and maybe for anyone who might be listening to this right now who may find themselves in a period of darkness or a period of feeling like they are unwanted or unloved what encouragement do you have for them based on your own journey Sure. You know, first, Sister Thea Bowman's words come to mind. Remember who you are and to whom you belong. Like I think in those moments of darkness, I do this myself and I encourage my kids and, and the young people that I work with to read the scriptures. Truly read the scriptures because they are filled with God's promise for you. They are filled with God's love. And Gosh, it's just throughout scripture how much you are intentionally designed and wanted and created and that you are unrepeatable and that you are necessary and that if God has willed you into existence, that is not a mistake. And that, you know, we might be in a period of darkness where we can't quite see it, but that we can always turn to his word. His word is true and it is good. I would encourage you to look at some of our saints that went through periods of darkness St. Teresa of Calcutta is, is my bestie. And I love that after, after her death that we found out that she had this incredible span of time. I think it was like 26 years of spiritual desolation where she never experienced the voice of God, never experienced all of that. But she knew he was faithful. And so she continued to be faithful. And out of that, what beautiful, beautiful fruit came from that. And so find yourself some saints that might have been walking through that kind of darkness, whatever that might be. I know Meg Hunter Kilmer has some great books and resources for you to find your, your saint bestie. And it doesn't have to be one. You can have a whole squad, right? 
But just to remember that even when you feel like you're completely alone and that there is no point that you are not alone and there is very much a purpose for your life just because that you exist. If for no other reason, you are here. Those are some very encouraging and beautiful words. So Rocky, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And, and I guess like as we wrap up, and I would love to hear your reflection on your personal feminine genius, especially in light of what you just shared. Like that's so beautiful. And, you know, I know that many times, like especially in Catholic circles, we can be guilty of throwing that around as glib and just being like, yeah, we are we are made in God's image, but truly believing that. So I'm grateful for your feminine genius, but I would love to hear from you how you've seen that flourish in your own life. I gotta tell you, this was the question where my imposter syndrome crept up. I'm like, genius, that's a really loaded. <laughs> I don't know if I'm genius. No, but you know, I think that the heart of the feminine genius is to really claim who God has made you to be and your uniqueness and in all of that. And that we bring with us in our femininity something that is unique. Um, and I know like in my workplace, it is that sense of nurturing that I bring and being able to see things from a different perspective and to being able to see some details that maybe get lost otherwise mm -hmm. about the human person that we are serving. I think for me personally, that that is shown in my tendency to lean towards encouragement and empathy for the people that we are, are working with in helping to make connections. Again, community is such a, an important part of my own journey to be sure that, that people are connected to one another. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, like in the artist world, we talk about community over competition. So mm -hmm. like really just being able to advocate for one another and, and to lift one another up and to do right by one another. One of my graduate supervisors said that I had a, oh, what did she say? I had a thirst for justice. And I don't think I had ever heard anybody say that about me before, but it's definitely there, you know, sometimes in a, I get on my soapbox about things, but, and just really seeing the dignity of, of each person and seeing them as God's beloved. Henry Nouwen was exceptionally important in my own um, spiritual development, mm. you know, and, and his whole, thing is that our greatest identity is as the beloved of God and whatever we can do to make others and ourselves really claim that especially on those bad days I think is kind of where that's where my heart is hmm. well Rocky thank you I mean like there have been a number of times this conversation and I imagine that this would be so for our listeners as well where I I just felt like a tidal wave turn in my heart. I was like, wow. Because like I said, we hear a lot of these things quite often, maybe more often than not. And it's such important truth that we need to hear. So again, I just am grateful for, for you and the work that you're doing for how you're living out your feminine genius in the world. So thank you. you again, Rachel. It was so nice to talk to you. And thank you for all you're doing to bring the feminine genius in all its unique ways to light. Mm -hmm. So I think thank that's you. the other thing, you know, like it doesn't look the same in any person. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. And Rocky, would you be able to lead us in a closing prayer? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Gracious and loving God, we just thank you for the gift of our lives. We thank you for the gift of your Son. Lord, we come to you with hearts longing for you, for belonging, for love, for peace, for joy. We thank you for the gift of our Blessed Mother who shows us what it is to fully surrender ourselves to you, 
to trust in you, to bring you into the world. Lord, we ask that you would make us light in this world that seems so dark and that you would make us confident in who you have created us to be. Help us to know, to believe that you are with us always in the gift of your son, that we are not alone, him in the Holy Spirit and in the communion of saints. Help us to know that your promises are true. All this we ask, most holy name of Jesus. Amen. Rocky, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you to Rocky McCormick for joining me on the Feminine Genius Podcast. You can follow Rocky on Twitter at Rocky McCormick and on Instagram at Rockstar Designs. That's R-A-K Star Designs. And you can learn more about Rocky and her artwork by visiting her website, rockstardesigns.com. I've left these in the episode description and the show notes. You can listen to the Feminine Genius Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many other platforms. And you can follow us on social media at FemGeniusPod. All of this information and the show notes can be found on our home on the web, FemineGeniusPodcast.com. We'll talk to you soon, and God bless you always.